All right. Welcome to Upstream on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren. This used to be called Tea Time. For those of you who remember, I have changed the name mostly because I called it Tea Time because it was at 4 p.m. Pacific. And uh, I don't think that's a good enough reason. It doesn't really resonate with me uh, as, as a title that I cared about. So I changed the name to Upstream. But it will be at the same time, I think, which is Tuesdays at 4 p.m. So welcome to join me. The name Upstream comes from a bastardization and or extension of Andrew Breitbart's observation that politics is downstream of culture. I think he was right about that. But uh, so therefore, another way to phrase that is culture is upstream of politics. But upstream from culture is philosophy. And so... What I'll do each week is focus on some issues and talk about what is upstream of the specifics that are being discussed in the news. So maybe some cultural uh, perspectives on why those things are occurring and, and sometimes philosophy. So you can support the show, as always, on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash unsafespace. You can go to unsafeshow.com. You can follow us on Twitter at unsafeshow. Uh, YouTube channel. I assume if you're watching this now, you're on the YouTube channel. But for those of you who are listening to the audio rebroadcast or podcast, you can go find us on YouTube. And uh, of course, I make all of these into audio versions that you can uh, subscribe to with your favorite podcast app. Just go look for Unsafe Space on your favorite podcast app. I will be joined every week with uh, on Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, I'll be joined by Carrie Smith, former social justice warrior, and we unravel social justice ideology every week. So join us then. So, But today for Upstream, I'm going to talk about just a few, a few things here on my agenda. One is Laura Loomer's Twitter ban. The other one is GM closing some plants in the U.S. and Canada. And the third one is the migrant caravan slash invasion slash whatever you want to call it tear gas incident drama in the news so i hope all of you had a good thanksgiving weekend got to hang out with some family let's jump in here uh let's see so i'll start by talking about laura loomer now laura loomer for those of you who don't know who she is i'm not actually a big fan of laura loomer i think she's a little bit sensational and hmm, someone of a midwit, frankly, but she is effective. She's a conservative. She calls herself a journalist. I guess she is. She's a kind of a single roving journalist, conservative journalist. I think she made her name by questioning some of the events surrounding the Las Vegas shooting last year and holding uh, the local authorities accountable and really being persistent as far as that uh, incident was and the investigation around it. In fact, we still, if you'll notice, that kind of dropped off the news. No one really knows why the guy did it or any details. It just kind of fell out of the the uh, public zeitgeist. So Laura Loomer, I think, made her, made her fame by pursuing that pretty doggedly and, and getting some results there. And since then, she, she is known for really pursuing leftists that she thinks are problematic for one reason 
or another, or just really digging into news items and uh, bringing an alternate perspective and trying to sometimes break items and get get information before it's out in the mainstream. And if you'll recall, recently she criticized uh, Alyssa Milano for supporting Linda Sarsour, and at the time Alyssa dismissed Laura Loomer, but then subsequently Alyssa did distance herself from Linda Sarsour, who is a noted, I believe, anti-Semite. I think it, I don't think that's controversial. I think she's an anti-Semite. Uh, she's a noted Muslim and women's um, march leader. And so Alyssa Milano distanced, distanced herself from Linda Sarsour, presumably because Laura Loomer brought up some of the issues around Linda Sarsour and some of her beliefs that maybe don't mesh with Alyssa Milano's uh, and, and the Me Too movement's ideology. Anyway... Laura Loomer was kicked off Twitter recently, and I want to read the tweet that she was uh, suspended, not just suspended, actually permanently banned uh, for. She says, isn't it it ironic how the Twitter moment used to celebrate, quote, women, LGBTQ, and minorities, end quote, is a picture of Elon Omar. I think that's how you pronounce Elon Omar's name. I'm not sure, but... uh, Elon is a pro-Sharia, this is continuing, continuing with her tweet, Elon is a pro-Sharia, Elon is pro-FGM, that stands for female genital mutilation, under Sharia. Homosexuals are oppressed and killed. Women are abused, forced to wear the hijab. Elon is anti-Jewish. It's not a well-structured tweet, but you get the, the gist of what she's going after here. Now, for those of you who don't know who Elon uh, Omar is, she is. This is just from Wikipedia. She's a Somali-American politician from Minnesota. In 2016, she was elected to the Minnesota House of Representatives as a member of the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, making her the first Somali-American elected to legislative office in the United States. So, uh, and she does. She wears a hijab and and uh, and is a Muslim. And. Uh, and so Twitter banned Laura Loomer for for this tweet, basically saying it's kind of ironic that the figurehead or the picture celebrating women LGBTQ and minorities is a picture of this woman who is a Muslim and supposedly pro-Sharia and uh, pro-female genital mutilation, anti-homosexual, blah, 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 uh, because Sharia obviously represents all of these these bad things. Now... I looked around. I don't. I don't actually know that Laura Loomer is right. She might be, but I didn't see any obvious indications that Ilhan is pro Sharia. I, I didn't find anything where she said she wants Sharia law or anything like that. She's Muslim, but there's lots of mild Muslims in the world who are just. She seems to be a progressive. She's a leftist. So if you look at her platform, she looks very much like. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in that, you know, government should do everything for everyone, blah, blah, blah. Very, very, quote, progressive, uh, which is a word that shouldn't even be, it means the opposite of what you think it is, <laughs> progressive. But anyway, that's that's what she is. I haven't seen anything to really justify that Laura is right, that this woman is pro-Sharia. But, but if she was pro-Sharia, then this would be completely... I would think uncontroversial and true, right? So if she, the only thing here that I think is potentially controversial is the statement, Elon is pro-Sharia, 
right? Because um, Sharia is pro-female genital mutilation. It is anti-homosexual where they are oppressed and killed and women are abused. Like all of that is true in, in kind of the strict Sharia law. So her description of Sharia is not inaccurate. The only thing that might be inaccurate here is her linking of Ilhan Omar to Sharia. And I don't know. I mean, is she wrong about that? Maybe. Is that a reason to get banned on Twitter? Certainly not. Uh, Well, it is, but it certainly shouldn't be. And so, you know, interestingly enough, Laura's not the only one to get banned lately. Um, Jesse Kelly, who is, I guess, a conservative pundit who has a radio show, she was also banned recently. I'm not actually sure what she was banned for. Post-production note here, it turns out that Jesse Kelly is actually a male conservative radio talk show host, not a female. So if you believe in genders and that sort of thing. Sorry about that, Jesse. But the one that struck me as interesting most of all isn't isn't Laura or Jesse Kelly because, you know, I think conservatives think that Twitter has it out for conservatives and that they're going after conservatives in particular. And I think it looks that way, absolutely. And it might be true, but I have another theory. And my theory is that they're not specifically going after conservatives, but that they have a radical leftist agenda and there are some sacred cows. They're basically social justice warriors. And there are some sacred cows that if you trample on these sacred cows, if you violate these sacred beliefs, or if you say anything to offend uh the social justice warriors in these few areas, you will get banned, regardless of whether you're a conservative or not. And I think it's just that conservatives do it a lot more. And the evidence that I'll cite for this, let me pull this up. There was recently also a feminist who I I probably disagree with this woman on 99% of her views. I'm not totally sure. Her name is Megan Murphy. Um she is the founder of, let's see with the name of the website here, Feminist Current. She's very kind of radical pro, pro-feminist, but she was banned from Twitter recently. And she was banned from Twitter for basically using the wrong pronoun to describe someone. And, and also, she doesn't, so she's described by the social justice warriors as a turf. Now, a TERF, I had to look this up. A TERF means, uh, it's, a, it's an acronym, and it means trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So the feminists are fighting amongst themselves. It's not just one. I know if you're on the right, maybe you think of feminists as one big block of people on the left. And that's not true. There are different factions, and there is a lot of hatred from the SJWs towards the, the group of feminists who they call TERFs trans-exclusionary radical feminists. And these trans-exclusionary radical feminists, like Megan Murphy here, um, they really are concerned about the trans movement and this idea of gender fluidity and infinite number of genders. They're worried about its effect on women's issues and women's rights. And frankly, even though I am not a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, or any kind of radical feminist, I, I think she's right about that. I think she should be worried about that. If if she's worried about protecting women's rights, I think I think the trans 
at least the social justice warrior kind of radical trans movement, not trans people generally, but that radical trans movement, that fringe element, which is in control of, of companies like Twitter, I think they, they do represent a, a threat to women's issues. And, you know, an example here, I've been giving, uh, I've been joking about being willing to identify as a woman in order to be on boards of, of publicly traded companies in California. So California recently passed this law saying boards, uh, boards of companies that have headquarters in California and are publicly traded need to have representation, women representation on their boards. And the amount of that representation will increase over the next few years. And I kind of have jokingly been saying, well, I'll, I'll identify as a female if you want to, if you need a female board member, sure. I'll identify as a female uh, for the purposes of being on the board. And I'm saying that jokingly, but, you know, that will happen at some point, right? There have already been genetically male athletes causing havoc in uh, cycling, women's cycling, women's mixed martial arts, basically, you know, destroying women's sports. And I think women's sports will be destroyed if that's, if this trend continues because there's a reason that men and women's sports are, are different and that is there are biological differences between men and women in general and uh, someone who has male genetics and male hormones and is, in all, for all intents and purposes, a male who competes against females is, is definitely has a, an advantage. So I think Megan Murphy had a point here, and I think she is right to be concerned. And she writes this big article. You can go to uh, feministcurrent.com to read this, but she says, uh, Twitter wants to shut me down. Sorry, Twitter wants me to shut up and the right wants me to join them. I don't think I should have to do either. I don't think she should have to do either. Uh, either, either? Hmm? Weird sentence. I don't think she should have to join either one of those. Um, but the sad fact is only the right really recognizes uh, freedom of speech these days. And I think if you say you're pro-freedom of speech, you are automatically classified as on the right. So I don't know what you do with people like Megan Murphy, who I think maybe she's a little bit more pro-free speech. She certainly doesn't want to be shut down on Twitter, and um, but I, she's certainly not on the right. So anyway, back to Laura Loomer and the Laura Loomer issue. Twitter kicked her off for for criticizing Ilhan Omar, and I don't believe that Twitter kicked her off just because she's an effective conservative uh, reporter. I think they kicked Laura Loomer off because she touched a sacred cow inappropriately. Right? She she said something bad about a uh, a Somali refugee turned darling of the left politician. And she mentioned Sharia. She kind of linked her to Sharia and said some bad things about Sharia. And that's a no-no as far as the social justice uh, warriors at Twitter are concerned. So I think that's why they kicked her off. But in the spirit of, of Upstream, I want to talk a little bit about the philosophy behind some of this, or, or at least the culture. And I'm going to challenge a notion that I think a lot of us just take for granted at least I did when I first heard this. There's a notion of, of something that we take for granted as virtuous. And that is this idea that it's wrong to discriminate based on uh, the phrase is usually like race, color, creed, that kind of thing, right? And we have this idea that only bigots and horrible people would discriminate based on these attributes. 
And the and the, the dangerous thing here is that's true for most of those attributes. That's true. But it's not true for all of the attributes. And a few of those a few attributes have been snuck into that list that actually it is completely appropriate to discriminate based on. And we never really talk about that. We throw them all in this one big bucket and we say you're a bigot if you discriminate based on these things. And where we gloss over the fact that all those things actually don't belong together. There's a fundamental difference between some of those things. So I'm going to read the list of those things from Twitter because Twitter sent her uh, a description. And you've heard, you've heard uh, sentences like this before. They say, you may not provoke violence against, threaten, or harass other people on the base, uh, basis of, so here's the list that you usually hear, on the basis of race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, disability, or serious disease, right? And you look at that list, and it starts with race, and it ends with serious disease, and the stuff in the middle, you kind of figure is in that category. And you nod your head at that and say, yeah, you know, you shouldn't threaten or harass people based on those things. Now, the truth is, you shouldn't threaten or harass people anyway, based on really anything but this is this is a a list that's often used really to draw the line before uh, between kind of bigoted behavior and uh, standard kind of acceptable judgment in society culturally so so this is their this is their list and you've heard similar lists like this but I want to break this list down because the list is corrupt so <clears throat> Some of these things are things that people cannot choose for themselves. They are accidents of birth. And those things are things like race, things like ethnicity, national origin, age, disability is usually, it could be just an accident, not an accident of birth, but typically through no fault of their own. Um... Serious disease, also typically through no fault of their own, although not always. Irresponsible behavior can lead to serious diseases. Uh, gender. Now, <laughs> they have gender and gender identity listed as two separate things here. I think that's just to cover their bases, but I'm not sure what they mean by gender. If they mean, like, sex, then we can say, okay, well, that's not something you choose. Okay, so usually sex is the word that's used there. So let's assume that they mean that here. And so that's, again, it's an accident of birth. You don't get to choose that. Uh, sexual orientation. I'm not sure what the uh, what the current ideology on sexual orientation is. I don't know if it's considered a choice or not a choice anymore. I've heard uh, gays on both sides of that issue. I don't really care whether it's a choice or not. But if it's not a choice, you would put it in the category of you're just born that way, and so it's an accident of birth. Okay? So that's... That's this part of the list. Race, ethnicity, national origin, age, disability, serious disease, gender, sexual orientation. We'll put all those into the list of things you can't choose. But there's a couple concepts in here that are mixed in, right? Because you would say if if you're discriminating against people on the basis of those things I just mentioned, that is kind of bigoted, right? But they they mix in a a couple concepts here. One is gender identity. Now, that is clearly a choice, right? By their own definition, gender is something, especially when you you 
clarify you're talking about gender identity not sex gender identity is something that you choose it's how you feel like you should express yourself right people there's the kind of classic silly examples uh, where people say i i identify as a as an apache attack apache attack helicopter or an empty room or a dragon or you know whatever two spirit whatever it is so that's clearly a choice so is it bigoted to discriminate against someone based on that choice? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think there's cases where maybe it would be, right? Where you could say a person was born with uh, some sort of uh, abnormality in hormone imbalance and or genetics, and they identify as, as male when really technically they're female or vice versa or something like that, but otherwise they're normal and kind of healthy psychologically and you might say well you know kind of discriminating against them on that basis is kind of that's kind of bigoted right but but there are plenty of cases where the gender identity being expressed is just a form of psychological dysfunction right people who say they identify as a large empty room are not functioning on all cylinders they're all you know they're not something's wrong right all the all the spark plugs aren't firing, so and they need therapy because a large empty room is is a fantasy. It's a it's imagination, but it's not an identity that really could rationally fit into any biological structure, right? Or an attack helicopter, right? That's not a gender identity. That's uh that's an identity, right? That's a character you might want to play. That's role playing. That's uh, imagination. But to seriously think that you actually do identify as and it's, it's your being is that you're an attack helicopter, uh, I I think I, I'm not going out on a limb by saying there's some mental dysfunction there, some psychological dysfunction. So it would be appropriate to discriminate against someone like that and to say, mm, this guy's kind of, I don't know if you could say guy, mm, this helicopter's kind of crazy. I don't know if I want to work with this helicopter, right? Or whatever. I don't know if I want to hire the helicopter. Helicopter's a little bit insane, right? And someone who's that insane, you may want to stay away from. So it's not the same as discriminating against someone because of their race. Those are very different things. One is an accident of birth. One is a choice. So, so they snuck the word gender identity into this list. But they also snuck a word in, and this isn't the, the gender identity, but that might have been Twitter's thing they came up with to sneak it in this list. But there's another phrase in this list that is common that Twitter did not sneak in here because it's in everywhere it's not just twitter and that is the phrase religious affiliation we view it as something that belongs in this category of race ethnicity gender that kind of stuff age but it does not religious affiliation is a choice religious affiliation is an ideology it's a it's a, well it's a philosophy right if you use the word philosophy broadly, I know there's a lot of philosophers who would argue that religion is not philosophy, but and, and that it's specifically anti-philosophy, and I don't want to get into the semantics there. But if you broadly define philosophy as, as a um, system of viewing the world metaphysically and epistemologically by which you can live, then I would say religion falls into that category, and in any case, religion certainly chosen— and it has 
consequential material effects often on people's behavior. So if your religion, if you're a, let's just pick on an example that's not Islam. If you're a Christian science, right? Now, Christian scientists, I think, you know, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Christian scientists are the ones that don't believe in modern medicine, basically. They think that you know, God will save their child. If their child has cancer, they, they don't need to go get chemo or anything else. God, God will save them or not, and they'll pray, and that's the end. Now, that's a pretty devastating belief system, right? That's a toxic belief system. And would it be appropriate to, if someone, if someone wanted to, let's say, join your hospital as a doctor, Right? I don't know how they would become a doctor with those beliefs, but let's say they honestly and truly believed that modern medicine was uh, ineffectual and that prayer was the right solution and that God didn't want you to intervene. And somehow they had an, an, a medical degree, right? Maybe this is a recent belief. Maybe they just decided this, right? Would it be appropriate to discriminate against hiring them? Well, I would say, yeah. If you're a hospital, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want to be treated by a doctor like that, right? Those, like, beliefs that you choose, religious beliefs, have real impacts. And, of course, you know, if we want to talk about Islam, beliefs, you know, the the radical Islam beliefs of blowing up infidels and taking over the world, you know, Islam can be viewed really more as an ideology than a religion and the radical, the radicalized Islam. And so... The, the ideology of taking over the world and, and uh, building a theocratic Islamic state, that's something that's worth discriminating against, right? Those are choices. And so when you are asked to not discriminate against people's choices and discriminate against people's ideologies, you're being asked to suspend your own judgment and you're being told that you're not allowed to point out bad behavior or bad ideas if they fall into that category, if someone just claims they're religious. And so, you know, I think this is a, this is a great example here, this, this Twitter ban of Laura Loomer and, and the language they used here is a great example of how this conflation of choice versus accidental attributes has seeped into society in a way that I for, for decades and in a way that I've never heard anyone else talk about and and I've I've listened to a lot of people talk about a lot of different topics related to philosophy and culture I've read a lot of books about it I've never heard anyone else bring this issue up that hey in that long list that race you know when we won't discriminate against race religion or creed like religion or creed you should discriminate against and I know this idea comes from the fact that maybe at the federal level or at the government level you shouldn't be uh, treated differently. But that's just because from the government perspective, everyone should be equal under the law and you should be judging uh, behavior and actions, not uh, ideas and, and, and beliefs. But personally, when it comes to personal, your, your personal life and your business and, and any cultural decision, any non-government decision, it's absolutely appropriate to discriminate against people based on their belief systems. So... Next time you hear that that string of of attributes, see if you can listen for the ones that are choices versus the ones that are 
uh, accidents. And, and typically what you'll hear is the accidents are listed first and last, and somewhere in the middle there's one or two things that are thrown in there, usually religion or, or creed sometimes they say, ideology. Uh, usually those are kind of thrown in the middle so that you gloss over them and don't notice and just kind of nod your head and say, yeah, it's wrong to discriminate against people based on all those things. But it is not. And so I guess that's all I have to really say about that. I mean, it's a shame that Laura, Laura Loomer's gone. Like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of her, but I did follow her on Twitter. She did come up with some interesting stuff sometimes. She was effective. And uh, there goes the Twitter thought police taking down a another independent thinker. So... That's one thing to be sad about. I know I said the title of the show, I think, is three things to be sad about. I guess I should be behaving more sadly. But uh, you can be sad about that. All right, let's get to number two. General Motors. So, well, on Monday we found out that General Motors said that they were going to close, I think, five plants in the U.S. and Canada. Three in the U.S., I think, and two in Canada. They were going to lay off 15% of their salaried workers, and they're going to stop production at those plants. I don't know if that means close them, but I assume I assume it basically means close them. In any case, it means laying off a lot of workers. Um, and uh, according to this article here, uh, one of the plants that's closing is is Detroit Hamtramck. I don't know what Hamtramck. That's a weird city name, but outside of Detroit, I guess, or part of Detroit. Uh, where there's roughly 1,500 workers who are going to lose their jobs. And so this this closing of, of plants and laying off of workers for GM is, is being used to vilify capitalism, of course, because everything is used to vilify capitalism. But really, GM, if we were in a capitalist country, GM wouldn't exist. Uh there was an article here in the Washington Post even titled, The Daily 202, GM layoffs show why there's a crisis of confidence in American capitalism. Uh, now, I'd rather call it American mixed economyism, American socialism. Uh, I think we've, we can't really claim capitalism on this one. And here's why. So, first of all, let's just back up for a minute here. You recall GM was in the news about 10 years ago, right? So GM was one of those companies that during the financial crisis was, they actually uh, filed for bankruptcy. They, they did a reorg under Chapter 11. And U.S. taxpayers in total, we, we, gave, we loaned them money in a couple different ways. But in total, we, quote, invested, which I hate that word because stealing money out of my wallet and, and funding someone who's, company is failing is not me investing, but whatever. Uh, We, quote, invested $51 billion into GM. $51 billion. Okay? Because I guess we didn't want GM to fail. Right? We also invested money in Chrysler and GMAC, but $51 billion in GM. And, um, And we lost about... 20% 20% of that. We lost about $11.3 billion. So not a great investment. <laughs> Shocker. Not a great investment. And, uh, and now here we are, several years later. 
So we're dealing with a company that wouldn't have existed. So under capitalism, here's what would have happened. Either someone would have purchased the company in bankruptcy, right? Or, or and or basically the, the investors would have lost their money, right? So in capitalism, there is no government bailout. There's no cronyism. There's no going to Congress and writing letters to the Treasury Department or the Commerce Department and saying, give us money, right? You fail. You fail, right? I've had, I've built businesses and been successful. I've built businesses and failed. And when you fail, you lose your money. That's what happens. You lose your money. Hopefully you learn a lesson. Often it's a very expensive lesson. Hopefully your investors learn a lesson. Sometimes that's a very expensive lesson. But you fail. And you make room for better companies or companies that are have a better product market fit or that are better run or whatever it is. And collectively, things get better. We end up with more efficiently run, better managed um, companies that have a better product market fit, right? Can deliver what consumers want at a price they want. And so that's what should have happened, right? GM should have just failed. But because we feel bad for people, and this is this horrible, horrible, horrible idea that we we feel bad for people, therefore we're going to do something about it in the here and now. And what we're going to do is we're going to take taxpayer money. Now that $50 billion would probably cost $100 billion of actual money, right? Because there's, you know, collection and it filters through bureaucracy and whatever. It probably costs $7,500 billion of actual money taken out of the economy. And we use it to prop up this company, which should have failed. That company should be dead. There should be no GM. Or someone maybe should have purchased it for a song and restructured it and it would be thriving or whatever. But that's not what happened. We bailed it out. Uh, and we bailed it out, obviously, without our consent as taxpayers. But the government bailed it out. And, and Bush did some of it. Obama did the rest. I think Bush did four, five billion, something like that. Obama bailed, bailed GM out. Uh, the rest of it, and and we did it because we feel bad. And there's this idea, and it's mostly propagated by the progressives and people on the radical left. There's this this idea that if you don't want to help someone in need in in an immediate kind of I'll call it a dumb way, right? That you are cold and uncaring. And so the example that I'll give is, is for this GM thing, right? You can feel for the workers, right? You can feel bad for the workers. You can feel bad for the people that are affected by GM going bankrupt 10 years ago or almost going bankrupt. I guess they did go bankrupt. You feel bad for them. But giving them more money to keep them on life support just prolongs and extends their death. Because if the company's not managed well and the free market doesn't want to give them money, right? So if there was value there, the free market would be giving money. They would be investing in GM if they thought it was a a good investment. The free market wouldn't do it. So the government had to do it, which means there's no – it's anti-capitalism. That's anti-capitalist, kind of by definition, right? The capitalists wanted GM to fail. They didn't think it was worth it. They didn't think it was worth saving. 
But of course, we had the bleeding hearts come in and say, what about all the people? They're going to lose their jobs. We got to save them. So they took money out of the market that could have been allocated elsewhere. And they gave it to GM. And GM has you know, basically squandered it. And now they're closing plants anyway because it's mismanaged. And what do we get? Well, we still get the deaths and pain. Uh, deaths in quotes. We still get the kind of slow death of the company and the pain. The company's not dead yet, but we still get all the pain, right? But we don't, but it's just delayed, right? And it's probably worse in many cases. And a great analogy, I think Peter Schiff uses this analogy a lot when he talks about, uh, what is it? He uses it for, uh, crap. I forget the term. Uh, when the government prints money, uh, quantitative easing, Oof, brain fart there. He uses it for quantitative easing, but I think it, it's appropriate for all of these kind of cases, right? He uses the the analogy of a heroin addict, right? And you you can you know find a hero, heroin addict, or maybe let's make it less dramatic. Let's an alcoholic, right? And the alcoholic is like, oh, I feel really bad. I'm hungover. It's horrible. Got a head, you know headache. I just need a, you know, give me another beer. Give me another shot of whiskey or something, right? I'll feel better. Yeah, you will feel better in the moment. But that's not the loving, caring thing to do. The caring thing to do is not to give you another shot of whiskey, right? The caring thing to do is help you overcome your dependence on alcohol, clean up your life, and be healthy. And that might look mean and cold-hearted in the moment when you say, no, you can't have more whiskey, right? In fact, we're going to have an intervention or we're going to send you to AA or whatever it is. It's not cold-hearted. It's actually more caring to use your brain and reason and think about the actual long-term consequences of your behavior and whether you're enabling someone or, or not, or whether you're helping them to actually heal and become better. The actual caring person isn't worried about how they look in the moment. They're not worried about how they feel about themselves with it, with respect to it, right? They're worried about the other person's actual well-being. And sometimes that means being the jerk that says, no, no more whiskey. No, no more quantitative easing. No, GM, no bailouts. I'm sorry. But of course, we're told that it's capitalism that's cruel, right? It's capitalism that's cruel and cold and evil, Because capitalism says, no, GM, go bankrupt. Sorry. Right? But but that's not true. Capitalism is not the cold-hearted one. The cold-hearted are the people who lend GM money anyway. Who take taxpayer money and lose a bunch of it. They invest it at a loss, and the company is still falling apart 10 years later. You haven't solved anything. You've just given the alcoholic more beer, more wine, more whiskey, whatever it is. His liver's gotten worse, and now he's more addicted than he was before. That's not compassion. But that's what the left wants you to think compassion is, right? And you can see it in every leftist, almost every leftist proposed program is all about ignoring long-term consequences and feeling good about yourself in the moment for giving someone a handout or taking someone else's money. It's never their money, right? They're taking someone else's money and doing something with it. That's, I won't even call it a band-aid in the moment. It's really just enabling. It's enabling some sort of behavior. And it's not just with 
with the social sector. It's not, I'm not just talking about things like welfare. I'm talking about corporate welfare. I'm talking about corporate bailouts. None of these companies should have our taxpayer money. None of them should have been bailed out, but they were. And we can see what happens with GM. So, of course, GM starts to fail. Now, they, they and Trump being, you know, one of the things I dislike about Trump is his, his comfort level with tariffs. Now, I can hope that he's just kind of doing the tariffs in an effort to, to kind of use them as leverage to get rid of all the tariffs, which would be nice. I can, fingers crossed, hope that. But until that actually happens, all I'm seeing is tariffs, and tariffs uh, are horrible. They're not capitalism. They are government interference, just like bailouts are. And so, of course, what did, and, you know, in June of this year, GM sent a letter to the government saying, hey, Trump's proposed tariffs could hurt the company. Now, whether that's truly what's going on here or not, I don't know, because, frankly, uh, management like that tends to be able to cover their asses pretty well, and they, you know, they know things are going south, so they, they start you know, writing letters to try and blame other people so that when it happens, you know, June wasn't that long ago. I'm sure they knew all this was coming. So anyhow, we're now in this situation where, you know, people are saying, hey, uh, GM's dying and it's capitalism's fault, right? The, what's the, the phrase here? There's a crisis of confidence in American capitalism. And I would just like to point out this is not American capitalism. Well, it, it is American something, but it's not capitalism. It is a mixed economy. It is socialist to take taxpayer money and bail out a company. It's actually fascist. I know the Antifa hates fascism, which is uh, which they define as everything that's not Marxist. But actual fascism is does involve uh, you know kind of government control of private companies and and this is an example of government investing large amounts of money and then putting people on the board of a private company so it's kind of close to fascism slash socialism it's it's an authoritarian intrusive government it is not capitalism and here we are this was their big gift to us they took our money 10 years ago lost 20 percent of it and left us with a crap pile of gm that's closing its plants yay thank you mixed economy democrats and republicans uh Thank you, anti-capitalists. I think maybe we should just give capitalism a try. Let GM die. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about here is the... I don't even know what to call it anymore. I was going to say the migrant caravan. It's not a caravan. I guess they've arrived. People are calling it an invasion, an attack. Uh, Other people are calling it innocent victims being tear-gassed while waiting in line. Anyway, 5,000 people uh, from the, quote, caravan did reach the border at Tijuana. Um, and there was a protest. Presumably because we don't have the capacity to process that many people that quickly. Even if they're all requesting asylum, we you just don't have the resources to, to do that. And so they would have to wait months. Uh, on a waiting list to kind of to get through. And so they didn't like having to wait in this long line, which they knew months ago would happen, of course. I mean, unless they're retarded, they knew damn well that they couldn't show up at, at the border and, you know, form a 5,000-person queue and get in, in in three days or something. That wasn't going to happen. So uh, so they, they, quote, protested. Now, 
I'm going to call it more of a, a riot than a protest, as you'll, you'll see why uh, later. But of course, they, uh, so as a result here, the, the, the border uh, agents, uh, they closed the port of entry briefly on Sunday when this happened to deal with to what was going on. And they used tear gas against people. Now, the, there was a viral picture going around of this, um, this woman with two of her children kind of running from tear gas. And, of course, it was used as, as the media is wont to do. It was used to uh, elicit a tear-jerk reaction and make you feel sorry for this woman running from her kid. Poor kids are near tear gas and blah, blah, blah. They're not actually in tear gas in the picture. Tear gas is kind of behind them and they're sort of running. Um, so I don't know if they actually got tear gas in their eyes. I don't, I don't think so. Now, I, I will say... I don't want to make it clear. I'm, I do feel bad for the kids, right? Uh, those kids shouldn't have to go through that kind of crap. They shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to suffer that. Absolutely, they shouldn't have to walk however many thousands of miles to get to the U.S. Frankly, uh, so I feel bad about that. I feel bad about the kids. However, it is. Uh, that doesn't mean it's it's the U.S.'s fault. So let's just take a look at a couple facts here. First of all, if these migrants were... So by the way, this, this child's mom actually didn't mention asylum as one of her reasons to come to the U.S. She just said she wanted a job. I also understand that. Don't blame her for wanting a job. Absolutely. Not asylum. These people were offered asylum in Mexico. We don't talk about that, of course, but they were offered asylum in Mexico, and uh, they walked right through Mexico to come to the U.S., which kind of is a clue that asylum is not what they're looking for. Also, my understanding, I think I've said this before, my understanding is that uh, according to to international law, you need to seek asylum uh, from the first country that you enter after leaving your war-torn, oppressive country. Obviously, that is not the United States. They walked through Mexico and a few other countries, many of them, to get to the border. So this asylum argument is weak. It's pretty freaking weak. <clears throat> and, of course, the leftist media, they're showing us these images of these this woman running with her two girls from the tear gas and they're oh my god it's used to show trump trump is horrible trump is evil look he tear gases kids trump is hitler basically it's you know the standard orange man bad narrative crap and we're supposed to feel well we all we do feel sorry for the kids right that's the thing we're supposed to feel sorry for the kids and we should but then we're supposed to translate that into anger at trump and that's inappropriate. So we're being told that this, look, this is unusual. Like, oh my God, I can't believe Trump is doing this. He's using tear gas. It's unconscionable. Well, here's some facts. Uh, tear gas was used uh, once a month at the border under Obama, according to the Washington Times. The, uh, let's see, U.S. Border Patrol agents used tear gas or pepper spray more than 500 times from 2012 to 2016 under President Barack Obama. Barack Obama's administration, not Trump. They didn't misspell Trump. Trump wasn't president then. Your savior, the holy savior of the left, 
and the Democrats, Barack Obama, he did that. He also had Droning Tuesdays. I should look that up. That's a fun little fact about Barack Obama, the the asshole who promised us an end to war and peace and then continued to drone bomb people. Anyway, uh, so this is, you know, this was normal. Barack Obama did this, according to this article, 500 times, more than 500 times. I think it's 540 total incidences. Oh, wait, no, that's, uh, sorry, 500, roughly 500. Uh, so anyway, or maybe it's 434 while he was president. I can't tell. Anyhow, close to 500, not unusual. Uh, not Trump. This is normal. It doesn't mean it's right. So we'll dig into whether it's appropriate or right. But stop with your orange man bad crap and blaming Trump for this because this is normal behavior. Okay, This is sanctioned behavior for a country at the border, basically defending its border. So let's get into the defense of the border for a minute. So we have this image from the mainstream media that these people were peaceful, it's women and children, they're just getting tear-gassed while they're standing in line. That is a lie. Uh, Border Patrol agents uh, did some interviews in the last couple days here. Uh, Let's see, Border Patrol agent Rodney Scott says they did not use dispersion techniques, i.e. tear gas, until after the immigrants had struck several agents with projectiles. Quote, several agents were actually struck by rocks, Scott said. Uh, What we saw over and over yesterday, he was speaking about obviously this event, what we saw over and over yesterday was that the group, the caravan, as we call them, would push women and children to the front and then basically rock, rocking our agents. I guess rocking is the verb form of throwing rocks, according to Agent Rodney Scott. Uh, and then he said, look, we know we weren't targeting women and children with the gas, but once you throw the chemical, you know, it does get into the air. Sure. So the question to ask yourself really is, what, what are agents supposed to do when, when these people show up at the border, they start throwing rocks at agents? Now, rocks, you know, this is the weird thing. The left does this a lot, too. They watch too many Hollywood movies about, like, super badass ninjas or, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger being able to, I don't know, hold a machine gun with one hand and, you know, hit the center out of a penny at 500 yards or some ridiculous kind of crap, right? They see all this crap and the left always imagines because they've never actually, they don't ever seem to be in, in, in fights. They don't seem to have experience fighting. They don't understand firearms. They just don't do anything uh, other than collect tenure. So they don't really understand what it's like to be in a physical confrontation. Typically Antifa probably does, but you can get killed, and se- or at least seriously injured, and killed with a rock being thrown at you. Rocks are dangerous. They're very dangerous. Just because they're not bullets doesn't mean that you should just stand there and let yourself get hit by rocks. What the hell are they supposed to do, right? I mean, we should be thankful for tear gas because their only other option is bullets. If someone, you know, if you were somewhere, let's say you're, you're home, 
say I'm home, right? You're standing there with your family, your friends, or whatever, and a bunch of, you know, hundreds of people line up outside your property and start hurling rocks at you and hitting you. They hit hit a couple people, right? Well, you'd probably, if you could, you'd probably shoot back. I mean, you might, obviously, you'd try and hide behind some cover, but if it was your job to stand there, which it is, you would fight back. And frankly, they should be thankful that non-lethal force was used. And and I don't think lethal force should have been used. I think it was appropriate to use non-lethal force. But, you know, look, you attack someone with a deadly weapon, and a, and a hurled rock is a deadly weapon. And the only people who would say otherwise are either deluding themselves or they are just liars. They know damn well that a hurled rock is a deadly weapon, right? So they're either just ignorant idiots or they're liars. A hurled rock is a deadly weapon. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stand there and get hit with deadly rocks? Because CNN might be filming? I mean, what the hell? What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to defend yourself. And, by the way, the country, which is what their job is. So this whole narrative of, oh, my God, they're, they're tear gassing women and children. You know, I feel bad for the kids. I don't feel bad for the mom. The mom shouldn't have been there. It's her freaking fault. You don't bring kids to a, a border riot where there's, you know, at least hundreds of people. I don't know how many were there. There was 5,000 in the caravan. I don't know how. Oh, I guess 5,000 reached. I'm reading here. So 5,000 people reached the border. You don't bring your freaking kid to a 5,000-person, quote, demonstration that involves chucking rocks at armed guards across the border and then get any sympathy from me. Your kids will get sympathy, but you won't get any sympathy from me over the fact that you, you're running from tear gas. So, you know, again, this is this... Really, the media just thinks that you're stupid. They think that you are a an, an emotional blob incapable of any kind of reason or context. There's context here, right? If you want to feel bad for kids getting uh, tear gassed, be against the war on drugs where no-knock warrants and people throw, you know flashbangs into cribs of babies, which happened, and burned them. You know, concern yourself with that kind of crap. Don't concern yourself with this. This is some lady who took her kids on a dangerous multi-thousand-mile walk so she could get a job and then brought brought her kids to a riot where 5,000 people were there, many of whom throwing rocks at armed guards across a border where the president has said explicitly, don't do this. Please go to another entry point. If this entry point is filled, go go to another one. So, you know, I guess the only way that you can not feel like this woman is responsible is if you think that, I guess you think that Central American women have no agency because, I don't know, are they not human to you, the left? She's human, and human... You know, human doesn't mean you just feel sympathy. It also means you get responsibility. And she gets responsibility for putting her kids in this situation. It's shameful. And look, many parents have done shameful things. I'm not saying that, you know, she needs to be executed or something horrible, right? Or punished, like jailed. I'm not saying that. You know, we've all done, made, all made mistakes. But let's recognize what this is. This was an error in judgment on her part. And she shouldn't have put her kids in this situation. So if you want to look at that, photo and get angry at someone get angry at the mom with her pirated disney shirt get angry at her all right 
Well, if I had extra time, I was going to talk about this climate report that came out, but I don't really have much extra time. Maybe I'll do another show on that. I'm in the middle of reading it. Uh, it was a big deal. I was stuck in an airport on Friday when, or wait, uh, yeah, late Friday night when CNN was blabbering about how uh, horrible it was that the report was released on a Friday after Thanksgiving and blah, 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 and uh, woe is us and everyone's going to die and the world's going to, you know, I don't know, the oceans will dry up by next year, some kind of catastrophic crap that is that typifies the reporting on this kind of issue so uh i will read it um more thoroughly and and maybe talk about it another time but as for now that is it for upstream the new show i think i'm going to continue doing it at this time tuesdays at four but i'm open to suggestions so anyone wants to uh at me at unsafe show on twitter or comment on youtube about when would be a better time? Happy to happy to oblige. As always, you can support the show at unsafeshow.com. You can follow us at Unsafe Show on Twitter. We also have Facebook pages, Unsafe Space, and um, and actually a deprogrammed page for the deprogrammed show, which is Thursdays at 11 a.m. with Carrie Smith. You can also go to patreon.com slash unsafe space. I think that's all the things. I think I, I said all the things. So on that note... Uh, Have a good day, everyone. Thanks for watching and or listening, and I will catch you next time.